Hello and welcome to Money Chill Out, the podcast to get inspired and feel good about your money. I'm Mike Afino, a woman in my 30s, ex-trader in the city of London, yoga teacher and owner of my financial empowerment business. On this podcast, I want to open up the discussion around money and investments and dive into personal finance management, which can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversations on money, mindsets, investment habits, and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. You too can get financial peace of mind and it starts with empowerment and knowledge. Let's go. Hi, Catherine Morgan, how are you? Hey, I'm great. I'm great. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on your amazing show today. No, I'm so happy really to have you and it's been planned for a long time. So yeah, really looking and thanks for your time. So I'm going to do like a quick intro. Of course, if you want to add anything at the end, like please feel free. So you're a financial planner and you're the founder of the Money Panel. And so since 2018, you've been helping to educate women to feel more confident with their money and especially to make them more resilient. So we're going to see what it means. You've written a book called It's Not About the Money, which is an Amazon bestseller. And you've been featured in a number of newspapers and magazines from the Financial Times to Forbes and Marie Claire to quote a few of them. And last but not least, you're a podcast host at a Financial Shoes. So anything that I've missed <laughs> it's always quite funny when someone reads out your bio like yeah I mean the most important thing for us you know putting aside the status of you know awards and publications and things like that is is our mission and our mission is really about helping one million women to become financially resilient so that they can have the choice and opportunities to create the life that they really want to live. And a big part of that is around exploring and navigating the complicated relationship that we have with money, which is, you know, really just a mirror reflection of the relationship that we have with ourselves. <laughs> That's so true. And we tend to forget about our relationship. Every time like we speak about money, it's more about like the numbers and so on, 100%. So why did you get into the personal finance empowerment? Yes, so many. My goodness. So when I was at uh, college, I had no idea what I wanted to do career wise. There was part of me that wanted to be like a journalist. And then there was part of me that wanted to be a lawyer, which I now know is all connected to my values of connection and justice. But I had no real idea of what I wanted to do. And I ended up working at the bank. I like I was a cashier on a Sunday and a Saturday. And that just became my weekend job. And I just kind of fell into financial services when I was 18. And I stayed there. I stayed there for 20 years and I worked my way through pretty much every single role there was at the bank from cashier to account opener to a premier manager, a mortgage advisor, investment advisor, like all of the things. And the big transformation for me was working in a corporate organization. I was the only female in a very male dominated industry. I was the only female in my team. 
And that didn't necessarily put me off as such, but I found the focus in that role was very much around selling financial products. And don't get me wrong, everybody needs, you know, a great investment strategy, a pension, an ISA, all of those things. But for me, we got remunerated to sell financial products. And I was coming out of meetings with clients who had just lost their partners or had been through a huge redundancy or a loss of a loved one. And I didn't understand why we weren't supporting clients with their emotional relationship with money. And you can imagine over the years of 20 years of seeing so many different behaviors with clients. Like I remember this one client who used to show up at the cashier desk every Saturday morning and he he looked like he lived on the streets and I think he probably did live on the streets and, you know, he smelled of alcohol and he, you know, he would, he would literally come into the bank every week and just withdraw all of his cash. And then he'd come in later in the week and put loads of cash back in and then he'd draw it all out again. And it was like this repeated cycle of money coming in, money going out, money coming in, money going out, and he wouldn't be able to hold on to any of it. And I actually built quite a relationship with this guy over the years And understood that he had an addictive gambling, alcoholic relationship with himself. And that had created a very similar pattern with how he treated money. And for me personally, I was stuck in that same trauma loop. I was making money and actually quite good money at the bank and then spending it, making it and spending it, making it and spending it. And I used to use money as a way to attempt to fuel a gap in my life, to fill a gap in my life where I didn't feel good about myself, my self-worth. I had huge body confidence issues as a young woman. I had eating disorders all through my teenage years. And so money for me became something that I tried to control. And I tried to use money to like fill my wardrobe with clothes that I never wore because I was so busy looking at what everybody else was wearing that I wasn't actually taking the time to heal some of the traumas in my own personal life that had created this behavioral response. Mm -hmm. And so you can imagine like as a woman in her twenties, I was a financial advisor. I was giving everybody else advice on how to manage money, but I wasn't doing it for myself. (laughs) And I see this a lot, like people in the financial services profession who you know, they should on themselves, you know, I should be good with money because I know everything there is to know about managing and investing and growing money. But there's always this behavioral response and relationship that we have with money. And that's what I love to empower women to think about not just the practical aspects of money and wealth creation, but also how do we respond through our mindset, our beliefs and our physicality around money. Mm -hmm. And I think because you've been through it, you can really, I don't know, connect with people and really help them. So now, a few years later, so it's been, what, four years or even more? So you have multi-six figures business. So can you tell us how it happened, how long it took you, and if you have any tips to share, if people are creating their own brand and, and... Yes. Again, so many things. We have a seven figure business now and, you know, it has taken us four years to create that for the business. And there's so many lessons that I've learned in growing my businesses. I think one of them is to create a business that just brings you so much joy 
no matter what the challenges are that you're having, whether it's economic challenges that are affecting your business or whether it's personal team challenges or pricing challenges or your own self-sabotaging mindset challenges, (laughs) the one thing that I always come back to is if you create a business that brings you joy and that is fun, like you're always going to be able to ride those tidal waves of change much easier than if you don't. And one of the things that we have learned is we've created many products and services that just haven't really felt great. Like you kind of do it thinking, oh, maybe this is the one that's going to make the six figures, or maybe this is the one that's going to help people the most. But in actual fact, what I found is that when you bring your energy to your programs or your service, then people will be attracted to you because of your energy. And this is why I love energetic work so much. I'm not particularly woo-woo in my work. I like things that are very rooted in science, but I definitely feel that the more confident I am in my own ability and my own self-worth, the more money we make in the business. And I think it is just a real parallel of investing in yourself is probably one of the most important things that you can do as the CEO of your business. And some of you may not even consider yourself to be a CEO in your business because maybe it's just you in your business right now, but you are the CEO and a CEO mindset is really, really important. And if I was going to give advice to anybody, it would be to create a business structure that brings you joy, not just copying what everybody else is doing in the online space, but doing something that really brings you joy and actually getting rid of the things that don't. So we have recently closed our membership, for example, this was one of the first services that we created to bring us some stability around cash flow in the business. So when you're growing a business, it's important to kind of balance the the the, the ongoing cash injections coming into your business but also the recurring revenue that you're creating and the um, exit strategies that you have in your business. So what I mean by that is that you'll create these mini capital events in your business over time where you might sell off something that you have created that creates then a sum of money. And that might be a website. It could be a, a program. It could be some intellectual property. There's so many different ways of creating assets in your business. But when you're looking at those three avenues of how much cash is coming in, what capital events can I be creating over the years? And then what monthly recurring revenue can we be creating? Often people do set up membership models and they don't really understand and appreciate often the amount of effort and work that goes into running memberships. You know, you've got to market to get new members in, you then got to retain them. But for us, that wasn't the issue with our membership model. The issue was people weren't watching the content. And (laughs) that did not bring me joy because I was like, you you can only do so much in your community to encourage and nurture people to, you know, to do the work. But for me, it felt like a huge waste of my resources, my time and energy and theirs to be paying for something that they weren't necessarily implementing. And there's lots of reasons why that happens but it didn't feel joyful for me anymore. I wanted to develop programs where people get fast results. They are very much in the community and opening up discussions with the community. And that for me brings me joy because I feel like it's purposeful and it's creating impact. So there's like so much I could share here, but I feel like definitely creating a business model and really understanding what do you want your life to look like first? 
and then working back from that. So what are the products and services that you need to create that's going to, first of all, give you the life that you want to live so that you can show up as your best version of yourself in really positive energy and then orchestrate your business so that it creates those results for you and then for your clients. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a lot about the why as well, why you're doing it. And because you really want it, you're going to be motivated and you're going to have that energy. And because normally when you really want something, you do things pretty well, then the money kind of come. But yeah, it's not focusing on the money. It's kind of a side uh, side effect of all your work and purpose. So yeah, it's so true. Like people who focus on the money, And I'm not saying that money isn't important in your business. Absolutely. If you're not making money in your business, it's not a business. But if you're just focusing on the money, it creates this energy of lack and chasing and it being a push. Whereas if you focus on what's the impact you want to create for your clients, it doesn't have to be like a huge impact for the world. But if you focus on the results for your clients, then the money will come as part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it um, moves nicely to the your books. It's not about the money. <laughs> and it's a bit counterintuitive at first for most of the people, especially when we talk about wealth. So what is the, the one thing that is the most important? The one thing that's the most important when it comes to anything in particular or? Yeah, about wealth. About wealth. Okay. So When I sat down to write the book, the book is split into three stages. You've got the deserve, the create and the grow steps. And I wrote the book in a way that I want it to be super practical. And for me, those are the natural steps that you go from this deserving wealth to creating and and then growing. And I think the most important thing out of each of those steps when it comes to your relationship with money is the deserve section. Because if you think about it, if you're creating wealth, so you're making money in your business, but you're not holding on to it because you've got some self-sabotaging beliefs that money is greedy, rich people are greedy, you have to work hard to make money, I'm not deserving to become a millionaire, you know, all of these narratives that we tell ourselves and that we that sit in our unconscious belief system then we can make loads of money, but we're never going to make personal wealth because we're not holding on to it. So for me, the most important message is the first line of my book, which is, you know, the relationship that we have with money is really a mirror reflection of the relationship we have with ourselves. So therefore, if we focus on our self-worth and untangle some of the, the webs of supportive and sabotaging behaviors around money, that for me is where the magic happens because then you can make more money and feel safe to actually hold on to it to then be able to grow and invest and do all the things that we want to do. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. So how can we change that mindset then? Do you have any specific, I know it's not going to be like a one day thing, but like, do you have some things or tips that we can implement today and some that we can train on and, and for later? Yeah, I think the first area I would start with is awareness. So this is the first step in understanding your relationship with money. And we have a whole like wealth framework around lots of different steps that we we support women through. But the first one is awareness. So the exercise that I love to do in this space is to imagine a coin. And if you think about a coin, it has two sides. You've got the head and you've got the tails, the king and the queen. 
And when I think about money, I want you to think about, you know, what is your relationship to money? What are the practical things that you do around money? And how do you feel about money? So one of the things that you can do is just to sit back with a piece of paper and a pen, or you can do it in the shower. Like you don't have to do journaling around this necessarily, but just think about like, what did your parents or your caregivers teach you about money? What were the things that they said? What were the um, stories that you can recall of maybe times when money was spoken about or not? Like sometimes money was never spoken about in the house. And that on its own is a really interesting and curious experience as a child that if money was never spoken about, therefore it could be a belief that, you know, money has to be secret. And there may be some shame that sits beneath that secrecy. I remember my my dad, who was a serial entrepreneur, when he lived in the UK, he now lives in Australia, but when he lived in the UK and I was growing up, he used to have this money jar. It was like a it was like a flower pot, actually. It was like a white flower pot with flowers around it. And it had like a, a curved edge all around, uh, all around the sides. And he would come home from work. He ran his own business in town. He'd come home from work and he would fill this jar with all of his pound coins. Never his pennies, interestingly, always the pound coins. And I remember he would put it on his bed, put the coins in the jar, and he would tuck it in the back of his wardrobe. And he would never talk about it and he would never say anything about it. And actually, there's the two sides of money that I've learned about that particular story. One is that it's important to save money. Two is that, but it has to be kept hidden away, (laughs) that you don't share that. And I'm sure that wasn't consciously what my dad wanted to, um, to, to like share with me around how to manage money. It was more than likely the fact that, you know, if the house got burgled, the money is stored away and, and, you know, tucked away. But interesting that my perception at that age was that money has to be kept secret, has to be controlled. And and this is the key. It's what are your perceptions about money? Because they are just perceptions. They're not necessarily truth. And if you can begin to think about what were the stories that you heard or experienced around money as a young child, ideally around, you know, early years, you know, your relationship with money is is formed by the age of seven. (laughs) So anything pre-seven, ideally, if you can uh, even open up some conversations with your parents, grandparents, or caregivers around, you know, what was your relationship like with money? Because it would have gone literally through seven generations. Seven generations of money stories have been passed through. So a lot of the stories that you carry around money are not even your own. They don't belong to you. And if you think about your parents' parents' relationship with money, just for a moment, your grandparents, if if they're still alive or if you ever met them, they likely grew up during the war. Everything in society at that time was about rationing, lack, not enough of things. And that creates a element of scarcity. We've kind of got it going on right now in the economy. And that experience, that environment that you're in co-creates your relationship with money. So that relationship money that they experienced would have passed through to your parents and then to you and even further back through the generations. So I just think it's really interesting to do some work around that early step of awareness of actually 
which of those beliefs are supporting you and which of those beliefs are sabotaging you? And the sabotaging ones are the ones to start with. Mm -mm. Really clear. So if you take your clients now, so what is the one thing that they want help with and at what time in the process they're actually coming to you? So is it because they want to grow and want to learn or is it because they really have an issue or... So women come to us for all different stages of help. It normally happens. So a lot of our programs are centered around helping women in business. Uh, we also have some personal finance courses as well. But we find that a lot of women come to us when they're making money in their business, but they're not holding on to it. And that might be because they're overspending, that they're putting too much money onto credit cards and those kind of habits. And there's a lot of guilt and shame associated with debts. Or it could actually be where they're, they're at the higher level in their business where, again, they could be making five, six figures, even seven figures, but they're not feeling wealthy because they're not necessarily paying themselves enough profit in their businesses and they just don't know what to do. They're like, they feel like they just have to work harder in their businesses because there's this recurring belief that you have to work hard to make money. And a lot of our clients want to explore making, you know, more semi-passive income streams so that then they can start to free up more of their time to spend with their families and then start to work on growing and scaling their businesses. So it's a real range, like right from starting business all the way through to, you know, multi six, seven figure business owners. Cool. That's good. And because I guess it like stimulates you in different ways and it's never the same. So that's why it's like keeps you motivated and, and, and I'm sure you learn from them too. So, and you really have looked at your website and you're really talking about like the money trauma. So I want to dive into it now. So can you give us some example first of what money traumas could be and how you could overcome them? Yeah, such a great question. Some people listening to this may be thinking like, what is a money trauma? <laughs> what, what, what does that actually mean? And if you take the word trauma, trauma is just any event that exceeds our capacity to cope. And instead, it creates a disruption in the way that we function emotionally. So that could be something that is ego threatening or something that feels like it's life threatening. And it could be things like loss of a loved one, a divorce, it could be an inheritance, receiving an inheritance. It could be losing clients. It could be a business trauma where maybe you've had a team member and it's just not worked very well. And you've decided, therefore, that I'm never going to hire anybody again. I'm going to do everything for myself because I, only I can do it you know, the, to the, the level that is acceptable. And it creates this emotional response in our nervous system where we then either are fearful of success or we're fearful of failure. And it's this disruption in the nervous system that creates the emotion, the emotion of pain or guilt or shame or judgment. And often it kind of shows up when with several things, actually. So if you can maybe relate to some of these, the first one might be just saying yes to too many things. That's a trauma response. It could be avoiding financial conflict in relationships it might be overgiving to the detriment of your needs. So maybe you're sitting listening to this thinking, I'm so busy, I have no time for myself. Or maybe you have like 45 minute coaching sessions booked in with clients and they end up going into an hour and a half. Like we're not having these strong boundaries for our own needs. Mm -hmm. And then the other common ones are like overgiving, 
Christmas time is a really obvious one. Like so many, <laughs> so many mums in particular, they're like they overgive at Christmas time because there's this sense of what I'm giving them isn't enough. And ultimately that's down to do with their relationship with themselves and, and love. But it can also show up with like undervaluing themselves, you know, doing all the programs and qualifications under the sun and still not feeling good enough or undercharging in their businesses. Yeah, but thanks so much for explaining because for me, trauma is a big word and you're like, whoa, what is this? And actually, no, everybody can relate to <laughs> the example. So thanks. Yeah, I think the people think that trauma is just the big stuff, you know, the big T's, you know, like abuse and murder and, you know, war and, you know, the significant T's, the big T's. But actually trauma is just a disruption of the nervous system. It's when we feel we don't feel good. And the nervous system controls everything in our body. You know, it's a very powerful, the actual, the vagus nerve, which runs all the way down through from the head, all the way down the spine. That is one of the things that is the most easiest thing to actually support yourself with from a, an emotional well-being perspective. But also it's the one thing that can send us into a spiral of feeling fear and guilt and shame and judgment and anxiety. And there's lots of things that you can do to stimulate the vagus nerve, such as breathing, meditation, drinking freezing cold water, you know, that can activate the nervous system. There's so many things that you can do, which you don't think are connected to money, right? You think, well, how is that going to help me make more money? But if you're not feeling good about making money or holding on to it, then you can actually just do some somatic work. This is the work that we help clients with in just in terms of re-regulating their entire nervous system so that they actually feel good. So now let's talk about wealth. When you really want to step into wealth, so you've had the awareness phase, what are the different steps? And, and I would like to link it to how to go from being rich to being wealthy and hence to be financially resilient. Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because wealth is not about the amount of money that you have in your bank account. You know, the difference was for me between rich and wealthy. Wealthy is a state. Being rich is the amount of money that you have in your bank account. And that's really interesting to think about because for most people, when they think about becoming wealthy, they think about how much money do I have in my bank account? And one of the things that we always get women to do when they join our programs is we ask them to actually just go and walk around their home and like make a list of all the things that are already in abundance or they, they feel wealthy with. And that might be the beautiful pictures they have on their walls or the skincare that they've invested in recently, or it might be the beautiful carpet that they have in their lounge or um, their perfume that sits on their dressing table. You know, it doesn't have to be about creating multi-six, seven figures in our businesses. We need to stop using this language, I, I feel. So the stages of wealth creation, number one is about creating strong financial foundations. That's absolutely paramount. There's so many women that I see who run businesses who don't have strong foundations because no one's ever taught them. <laughs> like, Let's be honest, like no one teaches us how to run a business or create a business or manage money in your business. So creating strong financial foundations is really important. And then it's about creating the business that is going to sit around your lifestyle that you deserve and you desire. And then it's about those incremental steps, those small amounts of money that you can start to invest to grow wealth. You know, most people think that to be wealthy and to be rich, you have to have a lot of money. 
it simply doesn't start like that. Like even just investing 20 pounds a month, 20 pounds a week, it's those small incremental amounts of money that you can start to invest that can then start to build long-term wealth and wealth legacy. You know, it's actually thinking about what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? What's the legacy that you want to create in your own lifetime for you, your family, your communities, your children? So I think that the steps for me are the strong foundations. Then it's about starting to get investing. And then it's about looking at your wealth legacy. Mm -hmm. Cool. And what is your view on financial literacy? Because I don't know, it's because in this space now, but I really have the impression a lot of people are interested, a lot of people are involved, and it's really something that is more and more in the spotlight. So do you share the same view? I believe that financial education is a big part of why we don't have a great relationship with money. I also believe that it's not the only solution. So if we think about children, I have two boys who are nine and 11, and I do think there is a responsibility of our education system to provide them with some financial education, particularly when they get into secondary school and into universities, because normally that's the that's the first time when children are really able to manage their own money for themselves, although that may start much earlier with things like pocket money that you might be giving them at home. And I think that there is so much that we can do as parents to help our children have a good relationship with money. I've done loads of podcast episodes on this subject, actually, and I've actually interviewed my own children on this subject. So like we teach our children about having giving, spending, saving and investing pots. And every month we have this little money date as a family and we talk about, you know, how much is going to go into each of those pots. And you don't have to be super specific with them at a young age, but the concepts of those four areas of giving, investing, saving and spending are really important. But I also believe that you can know everything that is to know about money practically and still self-sabotage. And that's from my own experience. So I also believe that we need to have better conversations about the habits, the beliefs, the stories, the behaviors that we have around money. And when we combine the practical side of money and the emotional side, that's when the magic happens. Mm -hmm. Love that. Cool. So I have a few questions for the end, and I'd like to speak about your podcast, The Financial Shoes. So it's been three years, you've done many episodes. What's your best memory or your preferred episode? Oh, goodness. There's so many. There's so many. I particularly enjoy interviewing other people. I've had some incredible guests on the show. We've had like Dragon's Den people, a few actually. We've had, you know, some really world-class top podcasters in their space. Like there's just so many to list. But the ones I've enjoyed the most are the ones that get me thinking the most so I love it when I interview guests and they say something like a one-liner and you're like, oh my God, that's just like, that one line has just blown everything out of the water. I remember actually having a, a podcast interview with my associate coaches. So we have um, some financial coaches that support our community. And I loved that podcast episode because it was a, a really great conversation about the good that we do in the world to support other people. And I've also interviewed people that have been through our programs and I love hearing their stories about like, what were their aha moments? What were their breakthroughs? Um, 
And it's often not what you think it's going to be. So I've really enjoyed those episodes. I've I've loved doing podcast episodes face to face. I remember interviewing one of my very first mentors. I went into his office and I was absolutely petrified. I was like, oh my goodness, he's streaming this over his YouTube channel and he's got like a billion downloads on his podcast. And I, I was absolutely petrified. And I really enjoyed that episode because it was really funny and it just really stretched my comfort zone. And after that, I was like, oh, hell, I can interview anyone now. Like, <laughs> I've just spent a week on Necker Island with Richard Branson. I was like, yeah, it's those kind of things that position you to expand your comfort zones. So, yeah, so many great episodes. Nice. Love to hear that. And do you have any books or podcasts or contents that you want to share or that you recommend that we read? Yeah, I mean, if clearly I'm going to promote my own book. So if you want to download a free copy of our book, we actually gift it away for free. We just ask you to cover postage for us. Um, so if you want to grab a copy of my book, It's Not About the Money, Three Steps to Becoming a Wealthy Woman, you can just head over to itsnotaboutthemoney.com and grab a free copy of the book there. So I would love to invite you to come and do that. I would also obviously love you to come and listen to our podcast, which we're actually about to rebrand. We're just about to change the name from In Her Financial Shoes to It's Not About the Money. But there's also a couple of podcasts like that I personally like really enjoy listening to. And like this, I, I listen to podcasts every single day. Like when I'm walking my dog on the beach, I am always listening to podcasts. I really enjoy the Lunar Body, which is one that I've recently found, which actually talks a lot about moon cycles and how we can use the different moon cycles to step into more um, personal well-being. It's not that woo-woo, so I quite like that one. I also love, like one of my mentors has a podcast called Unstoppable Success. That's Nick Pigeons. I really enjoy that one. And books Like there are so many books that have really transformed my life. The two most recent ones that I actually post to my clients when they on board with us is one that's called The Surrender Experiment. And the other one is called Tamed by Glennon Doyle. And the first one is by Michael Singer. And those two books for me are my go-to books. Like Untamed is very much about like uncaging ourselves And the surrender experiment is very much about just letting go and just surrendering to what will be, will be, and what will happen, will happen. And for me, that letting go process has been really pivotal in my own journey. Cool. I'm really looking forward to it. I haven't heard about the two, so definitely just check them out. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, for your time, the discussion. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I can feel your energy, even though we're a bit far away. So no, that, that's been really cool. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me and congratulations on your show. <laughs> thank you. Bye. So at the end of this episode, I hope you're as enthusiastic as I am. You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at maricafino.com. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and spread the word. Thank you.